obviously we talked a lot about you know the the mergers and acquisitions uh, you guys that's not all that's going on you know with Howards you guys have a lot of other cool things that uh, actually this month as we're talking are, are opening and you're getting into this experience center walk me through this different take on you know shopping with Howards what we're doing is creating these showrooms for the consumer to go play we want people to come in we want them to test drive appliances before they buy them that alone is going to help consumers be very confident of what they're purchasing Welcome into the Independent Thinking Podcast. This is your host, Rob Stott. One of our earliest interviews, uh, podcast episodes back in, I want to say, April or May of 2020, uh, early on in the pandemic, was uh, with John Riddle, the CEO of Howard's out there in Southern California, the uh, appliance and uh, consumer tech retailer uh, in Southern Cal. And at that time, we were talking about, you know, all the changes they were making and how they were, um, you know, still operating and, and able to stay in business and, um, you know, what, what kind of challenges they were <laughs> expecting and anticipating and, and currently facing there, you know, in those first early weeks, really, uh, of the pandemic. And now here we are, you know, a year and a half later and I had the opportunity to catch up with uh, John and also Michelle Nine, the senior VP and chief customer experience officer uh, for Howard. So a um, lot to talk about, you know, in, in the year and a half that's passed since John and I last talked. And, um, you know, the company's uh, done an unbelievable job, uh, honestly. I, many words come to mind, but that, that's the one that, that we'll go with right now. And in just, you know, growing and having success and um, being flexible, you know, like only a, a, an independent retailer, um, you know, showing that agility and, and the ability to adjust on a dime and adapt business models and, um, you know, mergers and acquisitions uh, throughout the, the back half of the year and um, just a lot of awesome things happening. And then, of course, too, you know, here in early 22, they've got a couple customer, uh, these new uh, Howard's Experience Centers opening um, throughout the, the region that they operate. And, uh, just awesome to hear both John and Michelle talk about how the company, um, I, I said the, you know, that they've been agile, but how they've been able to adopt sort of new ways of thinking, um, very fresh ways of thinking about how to retail and how to attract customers and um, you know, just basically change their nature uh, as a business. You know, obviously, so much of retail today is, is very transactional based and um, you know, that's fine, but, you know, successful retailers like Howard's are finding ways to, you know, adapt and, and become these experience centers, if you will, for lack of a better term, and um, businesses that, you know, reduce friction in the customer experience uh, process and that shopper decision journey that we've been talking a lot about here at Nationwide, and uh, that'll be front and center during prime time. So uh, we kind of got a front row seat to uh, sit down and listen to them and um, explain how they've been able to do this and how they've been able to adapt and uh, what they're looking forward to here, you know, in 22 and, and beyond. So uh, awesome conversation. I always learn a lot when I sit down with John and of course now with Michelle as well. So um, appreciate them taking the time and, and, talking with us. So let's just go ahead and dive into it. This is John Riddle and Michelle Nine of Howard's out there in Southern California here on the Independent Thinking Podcast. All right, we are back on the Independent Thinking Podcast and always great to, to be able to talk to a member and always great to be able to talk to someone that has roots in the Northeast. So Mr. John Riddle, 
uh, today with Howard's uh, CEO of Howard's and also joined by Michelle Nine, the Senior VP and Chief Customer Experience Officer, an extra C in that CEO type, <laughs> CCEO. Does that make Michelle more important than you, John? It, no. uh, it by far does in every way except compensation. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. I appreciate both of you taking the time. And uh, hey, happy new year sitting here in early January. Uh, hope you all had a good new year. We did. We happy did. new year. Happy new year, Rob. It's uh, always a good time to talk. I think, you know, coming into a new year, you get to kind of reflect on, you know, the year that was and and oh, what a year it was. And then also, you know, look ahead. So let, let's let's kind of start right there. You know, to, to both of you, John, um, if you want to start, you know, what was 2021 like for how I know, you know, 2020 was a, a special year. And we talked back on the podcast uh, very early on in the pandemic about, you know, changes that that you guys were making to the, the shopping experience. And uh, but, you know, another year gone by. What's uh, what's 2021 been like for you guys? I think a number of things. I think uh, first off, um, realizing that the pandemic had, you know, a longer life uh, than what any of us expected. And so the challenges that you, you know, had with hiring and um, trying to have protocols, you know, within the pandemic, both in store as well as in home with our delivery and installations and so forth. So keeping a really safe environment for our customers, our, our staff, uh, et cetera. I think, secondly, trying to figure out how to promote and be able to have um, an opportunity to be able to continue to grow against big box. Uh, and with most of our OEM manufacturers being more on the sideline from a standpoint of promotional cadence. Uh, and so we were very active promotionally, um, certainly last year, starting in the first quarter with the stimulus rebate package that we did um, and other factors that we did not to rely on just the pandemic business coming our way, uh, but to be able to continue to you know, grow what we had seen the last two years in 19 and 20. Uh, and be able to take market share uh, in the Southern California market. So I think those factors you know, were for certainly front and center for us. I think also in 21, um, we came to learn that there was, you know, we needed to be agile, Rob, on availability. Uh, and so we had uh, embarked in summer of 2020 with Kenmore uh, through some relationships I had uh, at TransformCo. Uh, during my days with LG. Um, and we found Kenmore to be uh, two benefits, I think, for us. Uh, one was we were able to get product in certain categories that we weren't able to get from our normal uh, manufacturing partners. Uh, and secondly, and maybe more importantly, and I'll let Michelle in a second talk about this, we drove a relationship that enabled us to have access to 4.3 million uh, shop your way customers uh, in Southern California. Southern California was one of the last bastions of Sears uh, where they had a strong market presence. So it enabled us to grow a lot with people that here in Southern California of the 24 million residents uh, trying to figure out where do they go next for their appliances. And so I think those areas were, you know, certainly at the height of, of 21 for us. The last part really was an interesting factor, which was we had an individual contact Tom Hickman uh, over at Nationwide, 
uh, and uh, his name was Don Lager, uh, the, the, the second generation uh, owner of Midway Appliance uh, in what's called the high desert region of Southern California. Uh, and that Victorville marketplace has around 400,000 uh, population. So it's a, it's a pretty good size area. Don's business, I think, had been in the 17 million or so per year out of one location. He had a big operation and a one-store operation. And uh, Don had a story when he first came here to Howard's after uh, Tom Hickman introduced us, which was that he really was trying to think about how to provide a runway for the company to survive long-term um, and to be able to do so without really a clear succession path uh, that had been um, organized or apparent uh, within the Lager family or his business model. Uh, and so um, we had not, we had a, a large strategic planning process for the next three years for Howard's, but it really was more greenfield, more organic growth of new store locations, filling in in Southern California, looking at San Diego and other market opportunities. But we came to learn a lot, Rob, about mergers and acquisitions and how to go about that. And we found that we were a very sensitive uh, partner, I think, for Don. Uh, in his family on how to keep the 42 employees of that business going, uh, how to be able to continue to look at a consistent uh, and well-integrated uh, way to grow into merging with Howard's. Uh, so that, that was certainly another factor, I think, of 21 that we had not really looked for, but Michelle, I'll sort of turn it to you. Yeah, I think um, what John mentioned with the Transform Co. partnership, that was really critical for us to gain market share. We realized that Sears customers were going to be looking for a new home. And um, so we, you know, really took advantage of that opportunity and worked with Transform Co. I would say, um, you know, 2021 was a great year for us. Um, we really paid attention to two other things. The first was customer satisfaction. We wanted to make sure that our customers were happy. We were driving so much growth and opportunity to grow market share that we wanted to make sure that those customers would come back. So, you know, the last thing you want to do is to have a new customer have a poor experience. So we placed a lot of emphasis on asking customers what they felt about their shopping experience. And if it was less than a five-star, we would call them to get it to a five-star. So I think that was critical um, in what we were doing. And I would also say the focus on transforming our customer base was critical. Um, we really wanted to, to bring in more families, uh, you know, Gen X customers and elderly millennials into the mix. And with our um, customer appreciation event that we had in November, we really saw that that had happened. So those were two other critical pieces to our success in 2021. So, so if you summed it up in a word, busy, I think, uh, fits the bill for you guys. <laughs> yeah, sure. right. This is a very, yeah. very yeah. light word, Rob. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're all everyday cheetah paste. Uh, Rob, so. Well, I say we're at warp speed now. Yeah. We've right. passed cheetah yeah, paste. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I know before we close the books on 21, I know, you know, just thinking from the, the, you know, coverage we've done through independent thinking and, and elsewhere, you know, the, the challenges that constantly popped up and, and, 
we're recurring throughout the year. And I think we're the same in 20, kind of late over into 21. And we're still hearing in the early portions of 22, but the supply chain and, and just getting inventory. And, um, you know, where did you guys, how did you, you kind of talked a little bit about some of the ways you manage those, those challenges, but did you see them? Um, you guys kind of had a front row seat out there in Southern California to the port issues that were happening. So, I mean, were you seeing those challenges as well or any others that, that popped up, you know, throughout the year? Yeah, I, uh, from my perspective, certainly. Um, I think, Rob, uh, a key for independent regional retailers uh, during this period of the pandemic was to have agility uh, and to be able to pivot uh, based on supply. I think Transformco Kenmore was such an example. We, we do not see Kenmore uh, as a going forward path with regaining availability with our you know, uh, long-term partners uh, in the industry coming back and having those products available, et cetera. Uh, and I think that, you know, um, in, in our case, we ran some of the heaviest inventory levels that we've run. I mean, we ended the inventory of our company was 24 million in appliances uh, at year end 21. Um, and that's a lot of inventory for a retailer like us that had 14 locations. Uh, so I think you know, we didn't always have the ability to have the perfect inventory that the consumer wanted through their research. And that I think is a factor that retailers have to constantly be aware of and not try to get in the way of the consumer wanting it uh, their way. Uh, but uh, we knew that the um, industry was waiting much heavier to replacement business versus discretionary business because products, Rob, were being overused during the pandemic. So, I mean, from the time I was a kid going into manufacturing locations uh, with my dad, one thing that was common was I would see a room that was a test lab that opened and closed doors, turned dials, you know, pushed buttons. And the average, you know, when I was on the board of directors of AHAM, we knew that the average life expectancy was in that nine to 10 year range for a major appliance. I think today that you know, we're now down to seven to seven and a half years because there was so much over usage during the pandemic. If a consumer came into Howard's or went online at Howard's, we wanted them to be able to have availability and selection of at least options. They may not have been perfect to what the consumer exactly wanted, uh, but we were able to provide a lot of options and able to do next day delivery, uh, which is a key factor for us. So I think those things were things that that nimbleness of being able to be very quick and agile, not get caught up in just standing still, if you will. And also I'll add to that is that, you know, even though we're in, you know, two, year two of the pandemic, customers still um, didn't understand why products were taking so long. You know, the back orders, it was very frustrating for customers, especially if, you know, they went online and saw that Depot had it. So, you know, we were actually purchasing products to fulfill customer orders when we didn't have the products. So that was something that was critical and what we were doing to satisfy customer needs. That, and, yeah, that's... And, and, and the customer service, Rob. Yeah. Um, customer yeah. service was a big, because consumers that typically may have in some cases repaired their old appliances couldn't get a technician out. And even if they could, they may not have had the component parts. Yeah. It, it's 
crazy to think about, but you know, just how challenging it was across all aspects, not even just getting a, you know, being able to sell a product, but just the, the service side, like you mentioned. And so you mentioned that, that customer education piece, what, you know, what were you guys doing um, to, you know, make them aware of just what these lead times were like with products and things like that? We started putting some POP in the store just, um, and what we did was we used the manufacturer's guidance on that because, you know, it wasn't, we wanted to make them understand that it wasn't that it, that Howard's wasn't providing the products. It was something that was going on with manufacturers. So we put POP up and we also try to educate customers as they came in and even online with chat on their orders to give them a guideline of when they could expect products. So we tried to be, you know, a little bit forward thinking on that um, because customers who don't have all the information and then they find out later are not happy customers. Yeah. Yeah. And I, now I, I imagine not every customer is going to be this way, right? But were, were there some where it was like an availability issue? If you're under duress, obviously you're going to, you know, look to what you can get your hands on. But did you see a lot more flexibility in terms of customers and, and things like that throughout the, the year? Um, we did. I think if a customer knows what they're getting into up front, then they're more understanding. Um, we also really marketed for the replacement business, as John mentioned. We had um, you know, free next day delivery. We had our always in stock, buy it today, get it tomorrow promotion um, that was very successful. So those customers who had an immediate need knew that we had thousands of products in stock that could fulfill their need. Oh, that's awesome. yeah, and I think too, you know, it's we... When I came here, uh, Rob, in 2019, um, we started talking to all of our staff about being empowered to do anything that they wanted to do with a customer. Uh, and so a lot of the folks that we today have recruited, I think would tell you that the big difference they saw between their old employer and working at Howard's is that at Howard's, every employee is asked to just take care of the customer. And so it's pushing that decision-making yes capability to the level that engages with the customer. Uh, and so the, the, what, what constantly leadership told all of our employees is the only thing they'd ever be criticized for is not trying whatever they thought was right. Uh, and so that has taken us from a 3-2, rating on Yelp and Google to we finished at 4 Five five for the year wow. uh, in twenty one, and I think we were approaching four seven. Correct. In November and December. Mm -hmm. So, those kind of things, Rob, where the consumers were have, I think they were knowledgeable about the shortages and the availability, but where they ran into trouble, um, you know, that they had been so frustrated, so put out. We did everything that we could, including having hundreds and hundreds of units on loaners, not just refrigerators, but all types of appliances that we delivered loaner product to people's homes and allowed them to use those products until their, their item came in. Wow. No, that's, that's awesome. And to see that kind of, that, that those efforts pay off in, I mean, typically it's reviews and things like that, but it, to see it, like you guys tracking a star rating and actually watch it improve over the course of the year, that had to, I mean, a lot of feel good coming back to you guys that you, what you're doing is paying off. No question. And stuff that we're hearing from consumers um, as they come into our locations or come online at howards.com, 
talk about the fact that they were recommended by a neighbor or family member or friend, those kind of things. And it was, you know, really in contrast to a 75-year-old company, Rob, that when we first revitalized having a private sale in October of 19, uh, it was hard to find anybody without a wheelchair or a walker. I mean, it was just an older crowd. And it was also an older white crowd uh, versus how our markets looked. Um, and so we've just turned all of that upside down in favor of the consumer. Oh, that, that's that's awesome. And um, you know, we'll, we'll dive in a little bit deeper, I think, in a, in a couple of minutes. One thing I want to circle back to before we forget about it is, you know, you talk about one of the big things that happened in 21, and that was the the acquisition uh, of Midway. And um, talk to me about, you know, th that isn't, you said it, something that wasn't necessarily on the radar or, you know, mergers and acquisitions weren't um, front and center or, or something that you guys were thinking about. Um, you know, what, and now we're sitting here in January and a second one has been completed for Howard's um, to, with Taylor. Taylor's, is that right? A Taylor Appliance, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, Talk to me about, you know, what's this integration bid process been like? And, you know, if you look back at Midway and, and how that process went, did that kind of open the door to a new way of thinking for you guys? Uh, certainly did. And I, you know, I, from my perspective, I think it, it, it shows, um, I, I worked uh, with the exception of Maytag uh, Whirlpool Corporation. I worked for all international companies and, I would tell you that one of the things that was, I think, critical for me as an individual, Rob, was culture was never to be a judgmental thing. Um, my mom used to talk constantly to my brothers and sisters and I about not judging books by their cover. Uh, and for me, that really paid off in looking at cultures in other parts of the world and not being judgmental of a good or a bad or a this or a that but just that it was, you know, people basically being people, but they had different ways of looking at things. So the lens was different by different individuals. Same thing is true, I think, as you look at mergers and acquisitions. You have to have that partnering spirit of give and take. Uh, I was talking to uh, someone today that manages part of the organization in Midway uh, in our Victorville operation. And I said, look, you know, this is not, uh, Howard's is not a big company. Uh, Midway was a smaller company. I mean, a good size retailer in its own right, but a smaller company. The way of doing business in the high desert is different than LA County or different than Orange County or different than New York or whatever the example might be. And so you have to take a step back uh, and be sensitized to different ways over a long period. Midway started in 1961. Taylor Appliance in Riverside, California started the same year as Howard's in 1946. Uh, and so those organizations had decades of formulation culturally on how they woke up in the morning and how they went about their business, how they accomplished doing things, how they took care of customers. And we have to be careful not to push that too far, too fast. My opinion, uh, one of the things that I saw early on with Maytag were mistakes we made in the acquisition of Magic Chef, the acquisition of Hoover um, in Ohio, the acquisition of Gen Air in Indianapolis, Indiana, and so forth. And some of the mistakes, in my view, that Whirlpool made initially in the acquisition of Maytag Corporation, just different 
cultures, different types of companies. And so I think for us, as we look at moving forward with more opportunities for M&A, Rob, we see that we're going to have to be gradual, not rush things, not go so fast, and be able to be patient with people as they become accustomed uh, to Howard's. Uh, Michelle, I, I asked- No, I 100% agree. I think every um, acquisition that we do, we have to look at it holistically, you know, because it is a separate business and they're integrating into Howard's. Um, we learned a lot with Midway. You know, we learned a lot about the, um, the people that work there, about their systems and processes. And, you know, a lot, they've, they've been there um, as long as we have. So we have to really count on them to learn more about the market and the customers and things like that. So, you know, we will have a strategy for every acquisition that we, that we do. So um, Taylor's, which is now in process, that will look different than Midway. And we have to really, um, like John said, not not rush things too fast because we don't, we want to, we, we don't want to come in and crash things. We want the customer to understand that Howard's is really there to continue to serve the community. Yeah. And that, that was kind of the, the point that was floating in my head was, you know, it's not even just the integrating their employees into kind of the, the Howard's business, but the markets themselves, um, you know, trying to, what's it been like trying to figure out the, the right customer experience in those markets and, Obviously, the, the people that have been there are the experts. So is it more of you learning from them about what works and, and, and sort of taking it that approach? Yes. What's really interesting is a lot of the companies don't really have a lot of data. So we really learn from the employees and from testing things. Uh, you know, we want, we want to grow customer base, but we also don't want to lose customer base. You know, we don't, it would be, it's harder to get customers and keep them versus keeping them in the first place. So we want to make sure that we don't alienate customers that we, we let, you know, we're, we're giving that message that we're continuing on the tradition of that business. Um, and we're still there. So we have a lot to learn um, with these acquisitions and we have to be open to that. So, you know, we, we don't have all the right answers all the time, but we do have to test and make sure that we're not losing anyone. Yeah. And it's uh, as you might guess, um, one of my views, you know, looking back a little bit on the Whirlpool acquisition in 06 of Maytag, uh, there are things that all companies do really well that are best practices, Rob. Um, you have to be careful to not be arrogant on the acquisition side of thinking that, you know, you're just God's gift to the world in all areas. Um, Midway uh, had pioneered a new ERP system in Storus several years ago, we unrelated had looked at three companies to replace HomeSource and we had selected Storus to go forward. So Midway uh, certainly has helped us uh, in the integration of Storus as a new ERP system uh, within Howard's. And their one store did more volume and bedding and furniture than all of our stores combined. Wow. Uh, so they had a lot of best practices that um, if we're smart, we will utilize within Howard's to do a far better job with our bedding suppliers and our mattress business and so forth uh, than what we were doing before. Uh, because we have a lot of experience in appliances. I think we can help Midway on the appliance side, certainly in consumer electronics, we can help them as well. And we can help them in the luxury side of the business 
Taylor Appliance has far more history of luxury and build-ins than Howard's does. Uh, and I think Taylor's going to be able uh, to help us a lot in that area as well. So I think the, the, the smart way of approaching mergers and acquisitions is leaning heavier on the first word and less on the second word. Exactly, uh, so, exactly yeah. what was going through my head is that yeah. there's a reason they call it M and A is because yes. you're you're merging companies and and it's not, you know, it, it can't be sort of this hostile takeover situation. You got to learn from one another, and um, it's cool to see that that's happening uh, in, yeah. in a very yeah. real way with you yeah. guys. And and also, uh, of course, on the midway side, uh, just the 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 feel goodness of it as well. I think the fact that you know this is someone that. I, the nationwide family coming together, um, you know, help each other. Members talk to members all the time, but how often do you see a member that uh, approaches another and asks, hey, um, we need to figure out a succession plan, which is a whole nother topic we could get down the rabbit right. hole on. Right. But, uh, and that you know, was the cool same, by the way, that was the same, Rob, with Taylor. Uh, wow. Scott Taylor yeah. reached out to us. And uh, so it's interesting now we're probably changing a bit because the strategy we originally developed in 19, as I said, had nothing to do with M&A, but yeah. we have now seen that there's a tremendous opportunity for growth, both in the greenfield new store path uh, and new markets and filling in within the Southern California markets uh, that we live in, but also to be able to effectively do it through M&A with another dealer. And this is something I was stuck with. Uh, not, I wouldn't want Dennis to think that he felt I was stuck with him, but I was with Dennis <laughs> May for a couple extra days in Korea one time. Uh, Dennis May, prior CEO of HH Gregg. And Dennis told me something uh, at a dinner that I never forgot, which was when they opened a new market, when they went into Baltimore, Washington, or they went into Atlanta, with 10 stores or they went into Florida uh, with 20 or 30 locations, they constantly knew a couple facts. One was that consumer electronics, the television business, their market share within 90 days would be the market share that they were going to have for years. With appliances, it took them three years. So whenever they started with a new location in a new market, they were going to take three years to maximize their market share. What a difference if you have an acquisition, if you're entering a new market and maybe you need two or three stores to maximize that market, but one of the stores could be an acquisition where when you turn the key, you automatically have this heritage of appliance business. Uh, that's a big, big factor uh, from a growth standpoint. So. Uh, things there that I just think we see clearly that we didn't see before. No, that, that's awesome to, to kind of hear your take on that. And, um, you know, it, obviously we talked a lot about, you know, the, the mergers and acquisitions. Uh, you guys, That's not all that's going on, um, you know, with Howard's. You guys have a lot of other cool things that uh, actually this month as we're talking are, are opening and you're getting into this experience center and um, really leans into, you know, Michelle, kind of what, what you've been bringing to the table on the customer experience side. So talk to me a little bit, walk me through this, uh, this different take on, you know, shopping with Howard's and, and what these experiences, experience centers bring to the table. And, and I'll, I'll and just go differ. first on that, Rob, because yeah. it's near and dear. We, um, from the time that I can remember as a kid, really, in my dad's store, 
uh, I have felt that the purchasing journey or the experience for the consumer has not been a positive one. I think it's a crappy process. And today, I think it's as crappy as it was in the 1970s when I was in high school and college. And what happens today, interestingly, you'll have leaders of large companies talk about their online percentage of business. Obviously, that became more important during the pandemic. And we're doing a lot to be able to create a very good online experience. But we do believe that in major consumer durables like appliances, uh, integrated television and audio systems, uh, bedding and furniture, we do believe that the consumer today still wants to feel and touch and see that product. And so what we're doing is creating these showrooms, what we call and coin as an experience center for the consumer to go play. And it's not just a play with a high-end kind of retailer that would be happy on Rodeo Drive. It's the retail consumer that wants to check out a washer and see how it performs, what the quietness level is of a dishwasher how products work. And so we have these experience net centers that are akin to a playground for the consumer to shop and experience and experiment with, followed by a change in how we're going to engage the consumer on what we call rare. So we feel that we needed to revolutionize that appliance retail experience. And that's what we're calling rare in, in our model that we looked at with large companies, all those companies have found a way to make the buying process less cumbersome, frictionless, less hassle, easier on delivery, easier on installation, not trying to do something to the consumer, but to do something for the consumer. So Michelle actually headed that up for us and I'll let her just, you know, sort of punctuate that a little bit. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the Experience Center really is an extension of a brand, um, of a brand's Experience Center. So, you know, when you go into a brand Experience Center, it's all about product, right? You're, you're testing, you're looking at features, you're seeing what it, what is this product going to be like in my home? And that's really why we have experience centers is we want people to come in. We want them to test drive appliances before they buy them. We want them to see how they work. And that alone is going to help consumers be very confident of what they're purchasing. Um, and you can't get that in any other retail. You can't get that at Depot. You can't get that at a Best Buy. Um, and the showrooms are huge. I mean, Long Beach alone is 22,500 square feet. Um, our West LA um, Experience Center just opened this week. Um, it's a smaller footprint, but very much LA. So we want people to come in. We want customers to come in to touch, feel, and experience the products. And we're going to create the same type of experience online. And those experience centers, Rob, will expand to this year to Torrance, uh, La Habra Brea, uh, Laguna Hills, our Irvine Tustin location, and then new locations also to be followed in Murrieta uh, as we sort of uh, size up the San Diego going south marketplace. Uh, we also will have an experience center in the Vista, California market. Uh, and more recently, um, just something that, that uh, we finalized on yesterday, which is a store in the Agora Hills area 
So that area that serves Calabasas, Malibu, and those high-end areas that are north of Los Angeles, uh, where we just had not gone that far west. So we'll continue to fill in these experience centers where by the end of 2020, with new locations combined, and what we expect will be one or two or three more acquisitions, we'll be in the 20 to 25 locations uh, by the end of this year. Does the, the way, you know, looking and, at how- By the way, Rob, just very yeah. quickly to, to sort of finalize that, these are uh, models that'll work just as easily where you and I grew up as they will in Southern California. There is nothing limiting the geography of these experience centers and this rare uh, concept on how we engage the consumer versus a selling floor or an abdication floor like Depot and Lowe's and now Best Buy, where you do not get the service or engagement with the consumer in the right way. So they're pleased with the fact that they're 20 to 30% online, but in most cases it's online because the experience was so lousy in store. I'm sorry right. I interrupted. No, you. no, you're good. I, and it kind of that kind of alludes to where I where I was going to ask. And that's you know, obviously these are uh, experience centers were something that you guys have put a lot of thought and and you know time and planning into. I, I wonder how much of it has to do like the design of them and the flow. And I know you, you know the the way you can shop them I, is any of this you know because of the way the customer experience has changed during the pandemic and, and sort of how shopping has kind of kind of you know, been very, um, you know, it, it's been altered uh, to say the least uh, since, you know, March of 2020. I think so. I mean, customers, you know, customers still, like John said, want to go in and see the products. They want to open them. They want to see what they're getting. And, you know, you would think that customers don't want to have that process, but they do. I mean, most more customers want to come into the store. We we're trying to make it easier for customers who want an appointment. Um, we want them to come in um, to engage with you know our product experts. But yes, it's it's definitely um, something it, that you know is really important to consumers and also the co the consumers that we're targeting, which are younger consumers. They are interested in technology. They want to see the way things work. They want to have connected appliances. They want to know more about how all of their, um, you know, tools in the home connect to each other and speak to each other. So that's something that we can provide that no one else can. And the other thing is, is as John mentioned, you know, this is the, what we're building here is something that we want to be easily replicated as we grow across Southern California and into other states. So we're making it easy um, as a platform. And the growth that we've had with Nationwide's help in our online business as well. So we, I think uh, in the last two months of the year, we're averaging 700,000 a month online. So we wanna continue to drive the educational experience with the consumer online as well, but through that partnership with brick and mortar. Uh, and I think as you look at Michelle's team and organization, which she's building out, she recently recruited a new executive by the name of Sabrina Warden. Uh, and Sabrina comes to us from Home Depot background. She also worked for Coca-Cola uh, as well. And Sabrina is our new VP of e-commerce. Sabrina had that wonderful background of growing up within Depot's foundation of a real commitment to their online brand advocacy uh, business with e-commerce. And 
so that sort of total package that a retailer today needs to bring to the consumer. Yeah, and I'll, I was going to say really quick, I'll echo that. Um, Nationwide has really helped us to get to where we're at. Yeah. Um, you know, on a digital front and on the e-commerce front, uh, when I joined the company, we were doing $10,000 a month in <laughs> e-commerce sales. <laughs> and wow. we thought that was awesome, I think. Uh, but, you know, we've gone through several different iterations of, of um, you know, launches for our e-commerce platform. So, you know, that that's really one of the key reasons why we wanted to join Nationwide because we wanted to be digitally forward and they've helped us to get there. No, it's, I, I can't take any. I'm just a guy that sits in front of a microphone and talks. So I'll, I'll pass on all the, the credence and, uh, you know, well, well, it, the thoughts to, to the rest of the team. But no, we uh, it's awesome to see. I, you guys have a lot going on and it, it's but awesome things going on too. the between the experience centers and uh, watching you guys grow and um, the, just the, the focus and attention. I know the customer experience, uh, the shopper decision journey is, is a, a big point of emphasis right now for nationwide and we'll see that in phoenix in prime time maybe we'll see you guys there too um but uh you know it's awesome to see that kind of come to life in everything that you're doing so i i just uh you know i appreciate you sharing the story and and letting us in a little bit and uh seeing what's going on behind the covers there at howard so we we really appreciate it same here rob and i i part of the reason i kept turning it over to michelle is i saw after i talked for a while your dog uh, walk away <laughs> in the background so, I... uh, and, <laughs> so, and, uh, he or she kept coming back when michelle would speak <laughs> uh, it was no. a pleasure rob thanks yeah, for catching thank up guys. with us okay yeah, thank you guys so Good much seeing talk you soon. rob okay Bye. see you later man Bye. And thanks again uh, to John and Michelle for taking their time and sharing their story with us. It's an awesome one. And uh, I think just flows so perfectly along with everything we've been talking about and that we will talk about, uh, you know, in Phoenix at primetime about the shopper decision journey and just how, you know, a retailer can adapt their business and change their business model to fit the way shoppers want to shop today. And, um, you know, it's more than just that that final sale. And, and obviously it's getting them in the door, but it's also just creating uh, that experience and that impression that, you know, that there's some, you're a destination for them. So awesome to hear them talk about it and uh, share a little bit with us. So, and as always, you know, appreciate you listening to the Independent Thinking Podcast and we will catch you next time.